This week's podcast is brought to you by Black Mirror, now streaming on Netflix. Created by Charlie Brooker, described by The New Yorker as the Twilight Zone for the digital age, Black Mirror is an anthology of six self-contained dark stories. Six new episodes are now streaming on Netflix, including episodes about a world where everyone is ranked out of five, another with a string of mysterious deaths linked to social media, and more, all with biting satire. The episodes feature appearances by Bryce Dallas Howard, Mackenzie Davis, Michael Kelly, Malachi Kirby, Kelly McDonald, Jerome Flynn, and more. See Black Mirror now, only on Netflix. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Jana Watson Caps. It was recorded in July 2016 at E-Town Hall in Boulder, Colorado, after we spent three days working with amazing scientists from the University of Colorado's BioFrontiers Institute. So I was dragging a 15-foot dinghy through shark-infested waters and up to my waist in water, and I saw something shadowy and really suspicious off to the left. And I was pretty scared, and I was wondering, why did I get myself here? (laughs) Why did I do this? And I had just graduated from college, and I was taking a year off, and I was trying to figure out what to do before starting graduate school, so I was trying out a bunch of new field programs. And I was in Western Australia studying bottlenose dolphins with my soon-to-be thesis advisor, and we had followed a group of bottlenose dolphins way too far into the shallows, and the tide had gone out and we'd gotten stuck. And she helpfully assessed the situation and looked at her and looked at me and decided I was taller, so I should get out (laughs) and pull that boat. Um, And I didn't have time to argue uh, or even really think about it, so I did, and I'm, I'm pulling the boat through, and, um, but I'm, I'm pretty nervous, and, and that suspicious shadow's still a little bit off to left, and, and I think, okay, my, I can hear my voice rising as I'm about to talk to her, my heart is clenching, my breath's getting really shallow, and I say, um, I think I see something on port. Um, could you look? (laughs) And she climbs on top of the cabinet, uh, equipment cabinet, to look, because she's short, and it takes forever, and I'm terrified, and she's like, oh, don't worry about it. That's a patch of seagrass. You're totally fine. If I see a shark bigger than six feet, I will let you know. (laughs) Um... Maybe you could let me know if you see any sharks. <laughs> I felt like I was being really pushy, but it felt important to me to express. Um, and so I was at that moment feeling very scared and very lost and thinking, okay, Jana, you'd finally done it. You pushed yourself too far. You're, you might get eaten by a shark. Uh, can you really do this? I, you'd only met, I'd only met this woman one time before flying out to Western Australia to do research with her. Um, but it turned out okay, and, and actually it turned out great, and it was a wonderful field season. So fast, oh, I forgot one part. I did climb back in the boat. I know you were all wondering if I made it. And <laughs> I, cl- 
climb back in the boat and I'm looking around and I see a tiger shark a few hundred meters off and it's five feet long and she's like, yeah, no problem, see? <laughs> like, uh, no. <laughs> um, but I trust her now, I trust her anyway. And, uh, and fast forward five years and a lot's changed. And now I've been to the field a ton, I've, I've designed my research project. I feel very confident I, I, I got this down. In fact, there's a new group of field assistants coming and I'm training the newbies. Um, my research was looking at female mating strategies of these bottlenose dolphins. And a lot of work had been done looking at some pretty sexy show-stopping activity of the male bottlenose dolphins. They form alliances of two to three individuals that actually consort with a female during the mating season, and sometimes they kidnap her, dolphin nap her, and take her away, and they often try and force copulations. And no one been uh, raping her. Um, that wasn't clear. Uh, and the, um, uh, the female side of things had never really been looked at. And I was trying to study the less obvious, the more subtle, but the equally important side of things. Of what is the female doing to reduce the cost of this? How is she trying not to get hurt, perhaps even regain some sort of mate cho choice and choose who she's going to mate with? So that's what I was working on. And these newbies coming in, we're going to follow the males. And uh, that was great. That way I could follow the female, they could follow the males, and we'd know everything that was going on. And, uh, and so I was uh, making them dinner and trying to get them up to speed on all the protocol and what they'd need to know. And so I was telling them about what a dolphin penis looks like because that's what you do. <laughs> and, uh, and I was telling them uh, what to look for and uh, that it's uh, sort of pink and tailor tapered at the end and sort of curly and, and it's prehensile like a monkey's tail. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they can move it all around. <laughs> and, and that's a pretty defining characteristic <laughs> for that. So, um, and, and, and the uh, one thing you should know that I didn't mention before is that the, um, even though I'm studying mating, I, uh, you don't see a lot of it. It's really rare. You see a lot of foraging, uh, you know, a lot of feeding, a lot of playing, a, a lot of traveling, resting. You don't see a lot of mating. So if anything exciting happens, I was telling these people, if you see a dolphin penis, you take out the video camera, get pictures, and you get on the radio, and you call everyone. <laughs> And so the next day, um, they were out doing their field work. I was doing mine. And we, we share a radio channel with all the researchers, but also the tourist boats that are out dolphin watching. Um, and they see a dolphin penis. And they call over, and oh, we got a dolphin penis. And they are so excited. I'm excited. I, honestly, I'm a little jealous, because this is great data, and they're getting it. But at least they're getting it. Um, and then there's just a string of excitement on their side. And they are um, saying, oh my god, it's a dolphin penis, it's a male penis, or it's a penis, uh, and they have a, just a huge uh, burst of activity on the radio. It's huge, it's prehensile, oh my god, what's going on? He's got it in its mouth. What? Where's the video camera? Who's the, who's, somebody's got the video camera, wait, where is this? Where's the hydrophone? What's going on? And then silence. <laughs> and everybody's just like, yeah, tell us, what's going on? Come on, you have to say something. You can't leave us like this. And they're quiet. And then they say, oh, um, never mind. That dolphin was eating a sea snake. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I thought, well, you know, it's hard to be new. <laughs> and it's hard to start again. And you make a lot of mistakes, and sometimes they're really embarrassing. Um, and I've been there. And, I, and as I was thinking about it, I was about to be there again. I was going to graduate soon and be on the job market, and I didn't know what to expect. And so I went back to Georgetown, and I wrote up my dissertation, and it went great. I, it felt wonderful to get my PhD, um, and that went smooth sailing. And then, um, yeah, then I was looking for a job. And um, one of the things that... It's important to this part of the story is that I had just gotten married to my husband Barry, and we had been dating for about nine years before we got married, and most of that was long distance. And it was something that we would fantasize about is where we were going to live, because this was a place we could live together. And so that was really important to us, is to find some place that was just amazing and ours. And so when I was looking for a job, I was asking for advice, and everybody kept saying, oh, do something a little different than what you did before, get some new experiences, but not too different, and don't be too picky about the location. Um, in fact, don't be too picky in general. Uh, but they, you know, it felt very much like my career was not really in my hands. And, and I tried that for a while. I had um, applications go out to places I didn't really want to live, or jobs where I really wanted to live, but I didn't really want to do that job. And um, that was sort of hard to apply for those. It was harder to get rejected by some of those. <laughs> so you felt like, come on. Um, and finally, I just, I'd sort of had enough of this. I thought, is this what being a scientist is destined to be? Does, does it have to be like this? And, and really, I thought, screw it. It, it doesn't. I'm going to start making some of my decisions for my life. And so we quit our jobs, and we got in a car, and we drove to Colorado. Um, and don't worry, we visited a few places first. We made a spreadsheet. We're not crazy. <laughs> And, and we picked Boulder, Colorado, because you guys all know, but it's it's amazing place to live, and, and that was a wonderful decision for us. Um, but I'm not going to lie, um, it, you know, job search was hard. And I had some initial ideas. Um, I had done a lot of um, animal movement studies where you track animals and you study their home range, and, and I knew they were doing similar things with the elk in Rocky Mountain National Park. And I thought, no problem, I'll tackle an elk, I'll staple my CV to their collar, someone will call me. <laughs> this is going to go great. <laughs> that didn't pan out. <laughs> um, and, and it was really, really tough. Um, and there was a, a, a low point there where I had gotten an interview, and it was with the Denver Aquarium. And I had worked right next door to the Monterey Aquarium in college, and I thought, awesome, um, this is going to be amazing. And so I went for my interview, and uh, what I didn't know, because I just moved to town, what maybe you guys know or maybe you don't know, is that the Denver Aquarium is owned by a restaurant company called Landry's that also owns Bubba Gump Shimp Shrimp Company. Uh, in the aquarium are two live tigers and an animatronic orangutan. <laughs> And that's a little, hmm, okay. Uh, and the, but the person that met me was really nice. And, and she took me back um, you know, through all the back doors and, and took me to a room. And I was expecting to see desks and computers. And instead, I saw folding chairs and folding tables and a kitchenette. And that seemed a little odd. 
but she dove in with some normal uh, questions and she was asking, oh, have you given naturalist talks before? Yes. Have you talked to kids? Totally. Um, have you um, worked with large groups? Definitely. Uh, can you um, plan events, um, I guess? <laughs> and as she was asking these questions, it, it started to dawn on me really slowly that uh, I was interviewing, um, after getting my PhD and graduated from Georgetown, I was getting, uh, completing an interview to be a organizer of kids' birthday parties at an aquatic-themed restaurant. Some of you were laughing, a few people said, aw, and that's the right response. Because <laughs> I felt awful. I thought I had come to Colorado and I had made this big risk, taken this big risk, and I had fucked up. But it got better. <laughs> and I found my first job teaching, and I found my second job as a visiting professor at Metro State, and and then I found a really, really great job. And I was developing new education programs at the University of Colorado, BioFrontiers, and, and it was amazing. And um, it was hard at first. Again, I felt like I was struggling. And I felt like um, you know, it wasn't going to be easy. And, um, and I wasn't sure, like, maybe I had overextended myself yet again, like being, pulling that boat <laughs> through the water, think that same feeling. And I, um, we developed a grad program, IQ Biology, we got it funded, and pretty soon I thought, I nailed this. This is really great. Um, but I, I don't lose that feeling. I, my, currently, my job, also great. We... Um, I'm now the chief of staff and head of strategy at the BioFrontiers Institute. Um, what that means is that every day I get to enable great interdisciplinary science. I don't do research myself, but I get to leverage what other people do into incredible things. I connect those people to each other, um, and I develop new programs to help drive that research forward, and it's very satisfying, and it's really fun. It's not... Um, uh, traditional tenure track position, so I'm in academia, but not an academic. Um, and sometimes that's a little tough. You don't fit into the box people think you should fit into. There's pros. You can navigate the system um, in ways that other people can't. Um, but, it, but it can be tough, and I can sometimes think, what have I gotten myself into? Um, is this, is this going to work out? And, um, and I still, more than I'd like to admit, Remember that feeling of being a girl waist high in shark infested water pulling a boat thinking, how did I get myself into this? And I try and remember that um, I'm learning to, to find the excitement in the scary bits and trust that really I can figure this out. And after all, I, you know, I can tell the difference between a dolphin penis and a sea snake, so I got this. <laughs>
That was Jana Watson-Katz. Jana is an associate director of the University of Colorado BioFrontiers Institute, which brings scientists from different disciplines together to uncover new knowledge at the frontiers of science. Before joining BioFrontiers, she taught in the biology department at Metro State College of Denver and studied the mating strategies of bottlenose dolphins. If you enjoyed today's story or are a fan of the podcast, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. We're also grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make this all possible. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely, with help from Ariel Miller. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to E-Town Hall for hosting the show, and a special you're welcome to Dolphins for the Fish. Thanks for listening. Thank you.